Hey, it's Charlie. Thanks for listening to the Encouragers United podcast. The following is a short sermon clip from a message that I recently preached at Walnut Creek Mennonite Church in beautiful Holmes County, Ohio. For more information about the church and our ministry, please feel free to search for us on Facebook or Instagram, or go to our website, wcmenn.org. recognize that song? Kids, it's a little bit old for you, but in 1969, the wonderful show Sesame Street introduced that cute little jingle. And it was usually accompanied by a set of objects that encouraged children to look very closely to see if one of these things was not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. Can you tell which thing is not like the other's before I finish my song. It's been quite a journey here through the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to chapter 7. We're going to finish Jesus' magnificent teaching. This epic journey through the words of Jesus, the red letters in some of your Bibles, right? And he's going to finish that. It's been quite a journey. Through the chapters of 5, 6, and 7, we've really got to the meat of who Jesus wants us to be, who Jesus intends us to be, and that drives home the lessons of the truth that his disciples, who are citizens of the kingdom of God, will not be like the others. That we, as those citizens, can indeed discern and very carefully find what is false, to find what doesn't belong. So we're going to talk about false teachers today, and bad trees, and bad foundations he uses these very clear and wonderful object lessons to teach us that things are not always as they appear. And so I want to start by telling you that our fruit, this is the lesson Jesus will teach you today, our fruit will reveal our root. Okay? Secondly, our stability will reveal our foundation. And finally, our reaction to Jesus will actually reveal his authority in our life. Okay, so these are the three points that we're going to find. Now, let's start with that first one here. Our fruit will reveal our root. That starts in in chapter 7, verse 15. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Found this wonderful picture. Ooh, kind of ominous there, isn't it? This is indeed a ferocious wolf in sheep's clothing. There were many false prophets in Jesus' day. And a false prophet is simply referring to a person who is teaching something, who is proclaiming something that's actually not quite right. It, It had a motive that might be different. A motive that was certainly premeditated. Most of the false teachers were planted there, often by governmental or political 
people reasons to generate a rhetoric, to generate a, a common thought amongst the people. They're trying to create a sentiment about those political leaders, about the issues of the day. Hmm, that sounds sort of familiar, doesn't it? These teachers had the wrong motives, but they hid as perhaps teachers of the law, teachers of good conduct. And I and many of us today who are teachers of God's word need to take these words very carefully. I, in essence, would fall into that category today as a preacher, as a teacher, as a pastor, as a person who has been charged with the responsibility to teach you to lead us in the rhetoric of Jesus, in the sentiment of God's word, and to be true to that. You see, James and some other passages actually speak pretty closely about this. I want to show you a couple of them. This is James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. It's a huge responsibility to stand and do what we do as pastors and teachers, to be Sunday school teachers and leaders, even of our littlest ones. That's a great responsibility. We should take it very, very seriously. And you all have my work as a teacher and a pastor to take a look at and to examine each time that I step forward to speak with you. But James is pointing out is that it's not quite for everybody. And so I believe that there are gifts that God gives. And those teaching gifts and communication skills can be honed and directed by the Holy Spirit. And that's what I intend to do each time I step in front of you. Mark, in his gospel, records Jesus' words and he says them like this. If when, I think of our children's lessons. Think of our children's lessons. If any one of you causes these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, i.e. to get something wrong, it's going to be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and to have you thrown into the sea. Now, I don't swim real well to begin with, so trust me. If the deep water and a millstone, which is this big, I should have showed you a picture of it. Some of you know what it is. It's a heavy, heavy stone wrapped around my neck. God forbid that that happens to me because I'm a goner, right? And Jesus said that would be better. That would be better for those who would cause little ones to stumble. Those who would be false teachers. And I'm sorry to say to this point, there are teachers who appear to be just like us. They are apparently teaching us what is truth. But ultimately, they have evil motives. And that's not good. They are ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. And so Jesus basically starts here by saying, watch out. Be careful. Examine very carefully what those motives are. Sheep-like in their outward appearance, but inside, they're ravenous wolves who will ultimately terrorize and consume the sheep. We see these tragic stories sometimes in our history, in the history of the church. And it's a shame and it's a sad, sad time when pastors get distracted or dis disillusioned or, as we'll talk about here, they just did it on purpose. What a tragedy. And Jesus is saying, as he continues to teach here, look at verse 16. By their fruit, you're going to recognize them. By their fruit. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles? You see, Jesus produces a very easy illustration to a community, to a culture that would understand agricultural and farming types of illustrations very easily. 
So we walk up through Hillcrest Orchard and we can understand. Perhaps that's uh, where the picture comes from today, right? But we, Jesus is saying, we can discern, we can identify a false teacher by the fruit or the results produced by their teaching. So think about that. We've got a tree. Now, we've all done this, perhaps. We've had a little plant in the garden, right? And we tend that plant. We keep the weeds away from it. And we want something from it. We can't wait. We get some corn, or we get a pepper, or we get some tomatoes, or we're going to get whatever, right? I think these are peaches that you see here. Wonderful. And you can discern what's going on with that plant by what it produces, right? And so he's saying, you don't get good things from these types of trees. You don't get grapes from a thorns bush, right? And so he goes in and further emphasizes this by talking about good trees and bad trees. Look at verse 18. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Okay, awesome. That's good. Thank God. (laughs) Thank God. God, make me a good tree, right? That's what you're saying. Because... Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is going to be cut down. We're not going to keep tending a bad tree. You've got a diseased plant in your garden. You know what the best thing is to do? Probably to pull it up. Don't let the disease spread to everybody else, right? That's kind of what he's going after here. Verses 16 and verse 20 kind of bookends this concept, right? So look at them. It's basically the same verse. Verse 16 says, you're going to know them by their fruit. And at the end of this, he says, you're going to know them by their fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down. You realize that a plant, this is the logic here, a plant will only produce its own kind. Right? A plant, an organization, a unit, a person will only reproduce its own. That's a logical, reasonable understanding that I want you to to grab onto today because that's what he's using to teach us to know the authentic, to know the good so that we can identify the bad. James, back again, I keep coming back to it. I just, the Holy Spirit's leading to James. We're going to go there next probably, right? Can both fresh water and salt water come out of the same spring? No. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And this is his way of interpreting and further having a conversation with what Jesus said. Right? I love to read Scripture in a conversation with itself. That's a great Bible study habit. Right? We use Scripture as it interprets and helps us to see other Scripture. It's having a conversation with itself. Beautiful. Okay? And this concept, this in-kind kind of concept, it's really old. Like, that links back to creation, doesn't it? Let's go back there in Genesis. It says, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it according to their kinds. And God saw that this was good. And then, verse 20, you will recognize them by their fruit. Not what they say. Not the way they look, not perhaps even the eloquent way that they speak, but their fruit. By their fruit, you will know them. It means if we see bad fruit, we can probably, especially if we continually see bad fruit, 
right? We can conclude that there are probably bad roots. I grew up in a part of uh, southwestern Michigan, okay? Very prominent, a lot like this climate, of course, where there's lots of fruit farms. Blueberries, we're, we're right in the heart of blueberry country where I'm from. Kind of like Merle Hershberger's Hillcrest organization up top. You can see the roots of the plant. You can't see the roots of the plant, right? But you can see how healthy they are. And I want to give a warning to some of you who are leaders and teachers, even in your families. Because some of you may not hold a position of influence, maybe in your job or whatever, but you've got a family. I want you to know that the roots of your life will be produced in the fruit of your leadership, will be produced in the root, uh, in the fruits of your work, of your time, of your relationships, of your life. Okay. Great illustration. I was the leader of coaches also in teams in my previous uh, career at Malone. Some of you remember. I was the administrator of those teams. And I actually learned a very powerful wisdom in that time. Now, I want you to know that I pretty much could predict where that team was going to go based on the person that the head coach was. And I would tell the leader that. I would tell that coach that. He's like, oh, I'm struggling with this, or I got to do this, I want to do this. Oh, hold on. Just give it about three or four years. And in the college cycle or the high school cycle, you've got about four years, right? It's freshman, sophomore, junior, keeps generating more classes. In about four years, this team is going to become who you are. And give it time. Your family will become who you are. Especially you, Dad. Because your root is going to produce fruit. The fruit of your time learning and growing will have an effect on your entire organization. And I could see it. We'd wait about three, four years. And if the fruit of that team was a disaster... We, we sometimes had to make a change, right? It was very difficult to do that, but... And I'm, I'm very aware, because of logic, because of this wisdom that God has given me or whatever, that give it time. We're about a year and a half in here. This place will begin to reflect who Matt and Owen and I and the elders, who we are. It isn't about what I say. It isn't about what I do. See, I used to sit with a coach who's really struggling. And, and I just had this conversation just two or three times in my career there. And they would say, I don't understand. Tell me what you want me to do. I go, ah, oh, it isn't about what you do. What do you want me to say? It's about what you say. It's about who you are. Oh, what a heartbreak. Huh? Can you imagine the tragedy? Have you ever been in that situation? I actually have. I actually have. Because this isn't about what you say, leader. This isn't about what you do, teacher. This isn't about the method, dad, mom, grandpa, grandma. This is about who you are. Because the fruit of who you are reflects your root. And so at that point, when I sit with a new dad or a new mom, oh, I said, oh, dude, don't, don't worry about it. This, this little baby, you're the only dad they'll ever know. They have no comparison. Yikes. That's supposed to make me feel better? Yes! And I'm telling you what, mom, dad, guess what? You're the only mom or dad they'll ever have. So just be what you want them to be. Be what you want them to be. That's it. I'd say, coach, listen, you want change? Draw a circle, step into it, and pray God changes whatever in that circle. Because it's about you. It's about who you are. And the fruit of who you are. The fruit of your teaching. A plant will only produce its kind 
And if we examine that fruit, if you examine the fruit of your mentor's life, you better get ready because that's what's shaping you. Okay? You get that? What is shaping me? What is shaping you? Well, this is what I want to be. How about that fruit? Galatians mentions fruit, right? The Apostle Paul writes, he says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit are things like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. <laughs> Hallelujah. How do, I, how do I produce those things, Lord? How do I be that? That's what I want to be. That's what we want to be, right? That's the fruit we're looking for. Because Jesus has some very difficult things to say in this next section. Watch this. He flows right into it. You're going to know them by their fruit because, in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Ooh. Verse 22. Many will even say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and do in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And Jesus says to them, in verse 23, and I'm I, you hear what he's saying? I am going to tell them. It's future tense. I will tell them plainly. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. How could this happen? How could this happen? I want you to think about that for a second. Because these verses are so familiar to us, right? We've read them and read them and we've heard preachers on them. And we've, we've, but I want you to think about it today. Think about that person. Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things? Think about that person's situation. They come all the way to the end of their life. Like, like to the end of the whole deal. And Jesus' response to them is, I, I don't even know you. I, 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 don't, I don't know you. I'm sorry. I, you, need to be, you, you need to go away. How? How could this happen? And it made me pause this week to tra- question whether these people knew that they were off or not during the process. I'm guessing not. Right? I mean, right? Otherwise, they would change. Like, how did you get to this point and then, and then finally say, Lord, what, what, what's the deal? Like, well, what's going on? Do you follow where I'm headed with this? Like, how did this happen? And the only conclusion that I can come to is that they must have been deceived. They must have been deceived. A wolf, perhaps in sheep's clothing, led them away from the truth. At that point, the teacher cannot save you. Right? Come to that point. But Lord, Pastor Charlie told me this. I I don't know what to tell you. Because you realize Jesus didn't come corporately. He, He comes corporately. Like today we all hear what we're doing. But He comes individually. Jesus came as your personal Savior. Not just, oh, just the Savior of all. He is indeed the Savior of all, but He is the Savior of you. Okay? Don't be deceived. You will be held accountable at the end of the day. And, and again, like I said, the teacher isn't going to save you. I'm not going to save you. I might die for you. I, that, that doesn't save you. My, 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 my check is it's wanting. I, I can't write that check for you. Only one can write that check for you. It's Jesus. And, and Jesus says, like, it's not about what you did. Did you catch this? Lord, Lord, we, look what we did. Look what, 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 what I prophesied in your name. I drove out demons in your name. We performed miracles in your name. It's not about that, right? He's saying that's not about it. And so it's not about what you do. It's not about who's teaching you. What is it? 
Go back again. He says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will go to be with Jesus. And my heart goes out to these people. Don't you feel at least a little bit of sympathy here for, for this hypothetical that Jesus is presenting? How can we become and make certain that we're not the ones deceived? And I want to be the one who's doing the will of my Father. His Father, right? I want to do the Well, what is the will of the Father? That's a good question. That's a logical question. Because only the one who does the will of my Father is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Ooh, Jesus. I, I, I have a follow-up question. What, what is that? And so I want, you to, I want you to follow me here. Because later in Matthew, and we may even come back to this by the time we get there. But in 21... Jesus gives a little hypothetical. He gives a little illustration. And it's about two sons. It's about two sons. He says, what do you think? He's speaking to the Pharisees, the scribes, and the teachers like the chief priests. He's teaching the religious people, right? He says, what do you think? There was once a guy who had two sons. And he went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not. (laughs) Okay. But later... He changed his mind, and he went. Okay, follow along with me here. I know there's a lot on this slide. But it says, then the father went to the other son, and he said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he didn't go. <laughs> Which of these two did what his father wanted? Well, the first, they said. And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of Hada ahead of you. John, John the Baptist, came to you to show you the way of righteousness. You didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent. And you did not believe him. You follow what's going on here? He just lays it out. He just says there's two types of people. You're either going to be true or you're not. That's what it comes down to. You're either going to have integrity or you're not. Because the first son said, I don't want to do that. And I'm the son. I'm the oldest son. I know what that feels like. You need to go out and chop some wood today. In fact, I may even not do it at first. I'll go do my own thing. I like to play the guitar. I'd rather do that. But at some point, something happens with this son, doesn't it? And he goes and he chops the wood or works in the vineyard. He changed his mind, didn't he? He changed his mind. You know what that concept is? It's repentance. It's repentance. He obeyed. He did what the father told him to do. He did initially. He said, chopping wood. Then he changed his mind. And he did it. Okay. Not not so great a start, but a good finish. Right? Okay. You did what he said. And then let's talk about the other guy. The other guy. He's like Eddie Haskell. You remember that guy? You remember this show? This group over here, they don't know what we're talking about. Eddie Haskell said, oh, oh, Mr. Beaver, Mr. Cleaver, oh, nice to meet you. Good to see you. Yes, well, how are you doing? That's the show from Leave it to Beaver, right? Eddie Haskell was the old friend that was a little bit slippery. He was like, ah, I don't want you hanging out with that, that boy too much because he'll tell you the right thing. He looks the part, but he's kind of crafty on the, on the side. Everybody follow me? You know what I'm talking about, right? Because he said, oh, sure, Dad. Great. And then he didn't do it. Do it. Think about that for a second. Are you seated here today? You sing the song, oh, hymn of heaven, I want to go, I just can't wait. And then God's saying, hello, 
You're not doing what I told you to do. What do you mean? I go to church. I give my tithe. I even, you know, help the lady across the street. I did all these things. What are you talking about? That's not what I told you to do. Right? There's another sermon in this, but I want to get to the point. How about John? John laid it out here. This is the word of Jesus. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I'll raise Him up at the last day. That's the will of the Father. You want to do the will of the Father? Repent. Believe. And, and, and can you catch that today? I hope you can grab onto it. And if this confuses you, I want to see you in my office. Because I've got plenty of encouragement for you. Look at the two sons. Which one believed and did what the Father wanted him to do? The first one. Which one did not? And it doesn't matter what the, the second one did. He didn't do what the Father told him to do. And that's the point that Jesus is making. Is that even the tax collectors, even the prostitutes, even those that you look down on as sinners who are not close to God are entering the kingdom even before you, righteous one. Oh, righteous one. He says later, I came for the sick. I didn't come for the healthy. What do you mean, God? Everybody's sick. You either know it or you don't. Right? And I believe that it is my Father's will that everyone knows that they're sick. And that you know and that you believe and you understand the cure. Later in his life, John wrote another letter. He reiterates this one more time. And this is his command. God's command. To believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. And to love one another as he commanded us. Love God and love your neighbor. Right? And under this section, this wonderful section of Scripture in Matthew, I have a life application Bible. Some of you may have this also. I, I just couldn't, it jumped right off the page of me. I want to read this quote from the life application Bible. That's little, you got the little notes, a little bit of commentary on the bottom, right? It says, Jesus exposes people who sounded religious but had no personal relationship with him. That's it, yes. And on Judgment Day, only our relationship with Jesus our acceptance of Him as Savior and our obedience to Him will matter. Many people think that if they're good people and say religious things, they're going to be rewarded with eternal life. And in reality, faith in Jesus is what will count at the judgment. What a powerful, powerful statement. How could this happen? How could this happen? Let's go on here. Next up, he goes into another illustration that we all have known. We've learned it in Sunday school. We've, we've, we've studied this and thought about it, right? But our stability in this life, our, our resistance, our durability, right, is going to reveal the foundation. It's the same type of, of illustration as the roots and the fruits. He goes on in 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. And yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And he explains the opposite, right? But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Our stability is really rooted and based in what we've built upon, right? And those of you who are builders and you have, you know, an understanding of that construction trade, you know this really well. 
I like this phrase. He says, those who hear me, those who hear these words. And what's he talking about? Not just the words in like chapter 7, verse 24. No, no, no. The whole thing. Like all the way back to chapter 5, right? Anyone who's heard this and puts it into practice, you're a wise person. And you're going to have a foundation that will last when the storms come. Because, as we all know, storms are going to come, right? The storms are going to come. Basically, if you build on a solid foundation, the only solid foundation there is, that's Jesus, by the way, it doesn't matter what happens. How about that? Will there be storms? Yes. Will the wind and the rain and the world beat against you? Yes, most definitely. But you will stand firm on that foundation. And in all these six situations, one of these things is not like the other. And that's for you to live out on a daily basis. One of these things is not like the other. Because, I don't know about you, the rock is all I want to build on. You could build it on a whole bunch of other things in this world. The world tempts you to go build on almost anything. It tempted Jesus that way. Think about that. The devil comes. Sorry. Sidetrack. Rabbit trail. What did the devil tempt Jesus with? He was in the desert. He was in the wilderness 40 days. The Bible, it explains that he did not eat. I don't know about you. I'm getting a little hungry right now, honey. I haven't even eaten since breakfast. 40 days. And the devil comes and says, oh, you look hungry. Why don't you build your, build your life upon something other? He says, Why don't you, you're so powerful. You, 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 you know, you're the son of God. Take these rocks or take this rock and make it a piece of bread. It's no big deal. No, I won't do that. Right? And he tempts him with power and splendor and glory. He tempts him that, you know, he even uses scripture against him. He says, Psalm 91, hey, it says your angels are going to attend to you. Why don't you just, you know, go up to the top of the balcony up there and throw yourself off and see if it's really true. Get away from me. I am not building on that sinking sand. Right? That's the attitude that we need to have in our daily life. Because he will pummel you. The storms will come. The rains will beat on you. But if you're firm in your foundation, you're going to stand firm. Right? Amen. And amen. Everything else is sinking sand. Because I'm going to tell you these truths. You are building on something. That's the truth. You're building on something. The storms and difficulties for us will happen. question is whether you're going to be stable or unstable when they do. And I want to help you be stable. I want to help you build that foundation. That's why you've come today. That's why you're a part of our church. That's why you're coming on Wednesday night or you're meeting with somebody. That's why you're having a dialogue to learn and to grow and to put those bricks of wisdom and truth into your foundation. Because I tell you what, Paul got it right too. First Corinthians 3 says that no one can lay a foundation other than the one that's already there. Why don't you just build on it? It's Jesus, right? It's Jesus Christ. And further in 1 Corinthians, he has a great illustration, a great wonderful closing to this. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Don't let anything move you. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor to build, to grow, to live for Jesus is never going to be in vain. may not always be fruitful. might not always seem like it's successful. might not seem like it's getting a blessing. But you're going to do it because you're faithful. You're faithful. And you are going to reproduce your own kind. Amen? That's right. 
All right, so let's close this thing up. We finally reached the end of this wonderful lesson, this teaching that Jesus has. And then watch, we're about to hit another gear when we go to chapter 8 and 9 and 10, 11 and 12, because we're going to turn into a narrative. It's going to become a story. This is what Jesus did. This is where he went. This is what happened. We're going to start to really accelerate through the book of Matthew. But I love the end of this. Okay? That's where Jesus' words end. But I tell you what, your reaction to Jesus is going to reflect his authority in your life. Can't get away without telling you this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. That's 728. Because he taught as one who had authority. And not as their teachers. Not as those scribes. Not as those chief priests and Pharisees and the others that were teaching them. This guy was different. This guy was different, right? He had authority and they were amazed. All I can say to you is that Jesus was the Word of God in the flesh who spoke the words of God with authority. We could go through another whole great story. This is how the Gospel of John starts. The Word, the Word, the Logos of God was with us, walked amongst us. And our reaction to this teaching, the reaction to Jesus reflects the authority that we give him. You've heard this story before. I had to tell you. Raise my kids. I have three daughters. Woo! They're beautiful too. But I would say, honey, listen, you're going out with this one. He seems like a nice guy. But there's only one thing that matters to your dad and your mom about this guy. I don't care where he's going to work. I don't care what his degree is. I don't care what his parents are. I don't care. I don't care much about this guy except one thing. Who's he going to tell you that Jesus is? Because that is all that matters about a person. Maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but I kept it really simple. Honey, let me give you some wisdom. Because I don't care what this guy looks like. I don't care what his car looks like. I don't know what he's... You know, I, it only There's one thing. And that's what we've raised you to understand. And I'm trying to make you foolproof. Right? We're trying to make our kids foolproof. That's what really matters. And so, we're, we're going to have an opportunity here to respond. But i got one question for you. Are you amazed by Jesus today? Because if your faith has become stale or cold or, or just dro- boring and like, like, I don't know, <laughs> welcome to the right place. Because that's not who we're going to be. That's not who I am. That's not who our leaders are. That's not who we're going to be. And so we're going to stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Right? We stand amazed in the presence. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Encouragers United podcast. We hope you're inspired and motivated by today's show. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would ask that you'd consider uh, sharing it with someone that you might know who would appreciate it, subscribing to the podcast so you would never miss another episode, and even supporting us financially through a monthly sponsorship. Your support will help us to continue to share uplifting stories, Bible teaching, and encouragement for listeners to never give up on encouraging and investing in other people in positive ways. We look forward to bringing you more episodes of the Encouragers United podcast. And until next time, start where you are, take what you have, and do what you can.